right, Ruth chapter 2. We've been working our way through the book of Ruth, and uh, I know Pastor Renee started teaching on the book of Ruth last week, uh, chapter 2, and I want to touch on a few things again this week before we move on to to chapter 3. And I want to look at today three directives or instructions that Boaz gave in the book of Ruth. Now remember, the theme to this book is redemption, which, you know, in natural terms or literal, literal terms, is the purchasing of a slave in order to set them free. Now when we apply that to our our lives spiritually, Jesus is purchasing our lives with his life, with his blood, setting us free from sin and death to live abundant lives through him, right? That's where abundant life comes from, it's through Jesus. Now there is nothing, say nothing, nothing we can do to earn redemption. We can only accept it and receive it, right? All who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. That's, that's salvation. That's redemption. When you call on his name, you didn't earn it. You just received it and accepted it. Once we've experienced redemption, now it's our responsibility to walk out this newfound freedom, this newfound life in Christ, And this is where the directives or the instructions of Boaz come in, in Ruth chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 14. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, that you may eat the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. It's also, sour, it's also called sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. So Boaz is a type or a symbol for Jesus and Ruth is a type or a symbol for us as believers. All of the Old Testament, when you read your Bible, all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus. Okay, that's what the Old Testament is for. It's to point us towards Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, when we read stories like this, we have to ask ourselves two questions. Where is Jesus in this, and how is this pointing towards him? Right? And so that's why we point out that Boaz is a symbol for Jesus, and Ruth is a symbol for us as believers. So the context of this chapter is Ruth working in the field. She's working in the field to provide for herself and Naomi, which is her mother-in-law. They are both widows, and they have nothing. They are very poor. And this is the first interaction that Ruth and Boaz have in this book. 
the very first directive that Boaz gave to Ruth is found in, 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 verse, uh, in verse 8 of chapter 2, where it says, Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. This is a focus on calling. Everything that God does is calculated and planned, right? Just look around at creation. It was all done in order, with a plan in place. Seriously, though, think about how disastrous it would be if God created animals on the third day. On the first day, he created, right, light. Then he created uh, the water. And if he didn't create the land, where would all the animals go? Drown in the water. That would have been chaos. See, it was done all in order with a plan in place. There is a design because there is a designer, which is God. We look at flowers. We look at insects. You look at snowflakes. They all have intricate design, showing care, showing attention to detail, showing love. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even if right now, sitting here, you're like, I don't know what the purpose for my life is. I don't know what the plan is. That's okay. Just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We have the opportunity to explore and to discover our purpose, our destiny. So when we read through this, this book of, of Ruth, the field represents here the calling in our life. And it's our responsibility to focus on our calling and then align our calling with God's design for our lives. See, he doesn't design, his design doesn't run counter to our talents, to our gifts, to our passions. Because he's the one that gave us the talents, the gifts, and the passions. And so they line up with our calling. They fit perfectly with the design of your life. Boaz told Ruth to glean in his field. And glean, if you missed last week, glean is just to, to pick up the scraps of the harvest that were left behind, that were missed. So he said, stay in this field. Right? They're in an agricultural society. There are fields everywhere. This is basically what everybody does. You're either a farmer or you're a shepherd. right? So there are fields everywhere. But he said, stay in this field. Don't wander. Don't look to another field to see, well, you know, maybe there's a better opportunity over there. Maybe those, those gleaners left more on the ground and I would be more productive, more fruitful over there. He said, no, 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 no. Stay here in this field. See, Ruth, Ruth wasn't given options because there was a certain field for her to invest in. There was a place where she could, she could work. She could commit in unity, in honor and faith. And then she could work and serve diligently in that field. The harvest field is vast. The harvest field is huge. And we, as believers, will be placed into a specific part of that field. Ruth came to the field, it says, the part that Boaz belonged to, and he said, let your eyes be on the field, in verse 9. There are many aspects, you know, when it comes to talking about our calling, where we're called to, what we're called to do. There are many aspects of it, but I just want to touch on three. I want to touch on the local church, I want to touch on your workplace, and then I want to touch on your community. Psalms chapter 92 and verse 13 says this, Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Planted and flourish. 
See, throughout Scripture, you see a continuous theme that kind of runs through all of Scripture of, of planting, of staying, of committing, of not roaming around like nomads. Now, yes, I do understand that the Israelites roamed the desert for 40 years, but it wasn't God's plan. They roamed for 40 years because of disobedience. God's plan is planting. God's plan is commitment. I have yet to meet someone, to meet a follower of Jesus, that lives a nomadic lifestyle where they're constantly moving from one church to another church. Constantly moving from one job to another job, from one community to another community. One, one relationship to another, one friend group to another friend group. I've yet to meet somebody that lives like that, that is mature in the Lord. We are to be planted in a place, only moving at his direction. See, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The importance of, of obeying his voice when he says it's time to move on. And not throwing out God says because I'm, well, I'm bored. I've been here for a while. Or, 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 or because now people are starting to know me. And, and you know what? I'm not, to be honest, I'm not really comfortable when people start to get to know me. So I'm... Um, I'm going to go somewhere new where it's exciting and it's fresh and nobody really knows me and I can blend into the crowd again. Plants don't move. They don't move from one place to another. Only moving with careful execution and planning. I have killed many plants transplanting them. If you need a plant killed, just let me know. I will come over. I will dig it up. I will do my very best to save it and it will die. See, when you move a plant, right, you uproot it, and you transplant it to another location, that plant experiences trauma, right? In essence, right, there is like plants have what they call a root ball, and it's just that ball of roots, and it's, it's, it's very tight, right? But then you've got littler roots that go out into the, into the soil, and when you dig that plant up, you're cutting off those roots from the soil, so the plant experiences trauma, and it takes time for that plant to settle back in to the new soil, to the new location. You have to water it carefully. You have to really take care of it in order for the roots to establish and begin to grow out again into that new soil. If it's uprooted again before the, that takes place and you uproot it again and again and again and again, that plant will never reach its full potential. It's never going to bear fruit or, or vegetables or whatever the case might be. It's going to be dwarfed and stunted. When we are planted, we flourish. Planting in a church community, in a church family, looks like embracing the mission of that local church family. It's building community through friendships. It's, 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 it's receiving ministry from, you know, from the leadership, from, from, from the pastors. It's, it's receiving the teaching as they, as they bring the word. It looks like getting involved. It looks like contributing in some way. Planting in a church, you know, isn't all about what, what we can receive. But it's about what you also have to offer. You should... No, I won't say that. I'll hold that. I'll hold that thought. How can you help your church advance in its purpose? How can you help your church um, advance in its mission and reach its community? 
How can the church invest in you and raise you up as a leader so that you can step into the fullness of the purpose that God created you? So that you can step into the fullness of the level of influence that God has on your life? How can you fully realize your calling in the midst of the church? And as Renee talked about last week, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Trust Jesus. Trust his process. Don't, don't, don't try and short-circuit the process. There's really no shortcuts to growth. Shortcuts to growth lead to dysfunction and sickness. They're called steroids. Trust his process and Jesus will get you to where he wants you to be. When we do this, when we, when we commit to a church, we move from, well, I, I attend, you know, this, this church or, or that. I, that's, where, that's where I go. And it becomes, that's our church, right? Because we're doing this together. It's our church. That's where I belong. You are where you are for a reason. But the same principles apply to your workplace. Like, do, do your job as if you were working for Jesus himself. Not with, not with one eye on the next opportunity or one eye on, on, a, on a better opportunity. Not grumbling and complaining about the culture and, 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 and your boss. I'm not talking to any of my staff. Not grumbling or complaining about the pay or the, or the benefits or the hours that you have to work. Have you ever considered that Jesus was the one that opened the opportunity for you at that workplace? And that he specifically placed you there for a purpose. And the purpose goes beyond just salary. It goes beyond just income. I believe that your calling from Jesus is not exclusive to the church. But it includes your marketplace position wherever and whatever that might be. You don't step out of your ministry calling when you leave this building. Most of us step into our ministry calling when we leave this building. Like literally at least 80% of us step into our ministry calling when we leave the building. How would your workplace change if you considered it your ministry? This also applies where you live, the community where you live. Treat your neighborhood and your community like you're their pastor. This is my neighborhood. I pastor here. I've done this um, always, wherever, wherever we go. We treat the communities that we live in like, um, like we're, we're, we're their pastor. Remember we moved into one community. We had only been there maybe a couple months. And um, I was in the house one day and, you know, someone knocked on the door and, and I, I came out. And you might, some of you might think, well, that, this is going to be a little aggressive. It's okay. I'm the pastor there. And so I opened the door and I said hello. And there was two um, uh, Jehovah Witnesses standing there, and they were they were proselytizing me. They you know they wanted me to take their information and stuff like that. And I said no thanks. And I said I'm a pastor of a local church. And they're like oh great we're the same. I said no we're not. We're not the same. We don't believe the same. I know that what you believe about Jesus is different than what the Bible says about Jesus. And they're like, no, no, we have the same Bible. And so we had this little conversation. And then I just said to them, I said, okay, this is not going to go anywhere. But I need you to know that this here, we kind of lived in, like an, in a roundabout. This is my community. These are my neighbors. This is my home. 
you are not welcome to knock on doors in this community because these are my people and I am their pastor. And they were like, oh, um, okay. And they left and they never came back as long as we lived there. I never see them, knock, never saw them again knocking on doors because those are, those are my people. I'm their pastor, right? So what would happen if you, um, if you treated your noisy neighbors who seemed like such a nuisance, like they weren't just noisy, annoying neighbors, but they were people that were broken and hurting and lost and they needed to know Jesus and God placed you there and it's your responsibility to love on them and to accept them, not to give thumbs up to everything that they do, but to accept who they are. Right, and to show them who Jesus is. How would your neighborhood change? Boaz told Ruth to remain in the field, to commit and be faithful, to keep her eyes on the field, not always looking for the next opportunity. Jesus directs us to do the same. This is living with intentionality. Live intentional. Not just like whatever will be, will be. Like that's, that's fatalism. Like we don't believe in fate. It's not whatever will be, will be. We live with intention. God placed us in this church, so I'm going to intentionally put my roots down in this place, at my workplace, and in my community. The second directive is found in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 9, where Boaz says, and he doesn't say this to Ruth, but he says this about his servants. He says, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. This is a focus on righteousness. Boaz instructed his servants not to touch Ruth because he was calling them to a higher standard. To treat Ruth with honor and respect, to treat her as an equal, even though culturally she was not. She was a foreigner and she wasn't equal to them. But what this is, is this is a call to moral purity. It's a call to holiness. It's a call to righteousness. Because we are called by God to live lives of purity. He actually says, be holy as I am holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, Paul writes this. He said, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. All right, sanctification, not a commonly used word in these days. But what it is, it is the act of making something holy. The act of making something righteous, pure, and perfect. We have been made holy, righteous, and pure by the blood of Jesus. And now we are, the Bible calls us, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. How? Like that's mind-blowing that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Wow. And all of our sin, all of our imperfections have been taken away. In this moment, we are perfect. Sanctification is both a position and a process. A position because right now, when you, as you are in Christ, when you receive salvation, you call on the name of the Lord, you are saved right then, now. You are righteous, you are perfect, and you are holy in Christ. 
it's a process because we all know that we still sin. So we, we are not always uh, perfect and, and righteous and holy because we, we still make imperfect decisions and choices. So it's a process because we are being made more like Jesus each and every day. Positionally, in Christ, I'm perfect, but I'm also becoming more like him every day. So it's a position and it's a process. Paul is saying that the will of God for us is the process of sanctification. Where we are no longer doing sinful things like engaging in sexual immorality. We'll define that because it's important. Sex outside of the biblical framework, which is within the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. He says we no longer do those things, but instead we are gaining control over our desires, over our passions. We are no longer controlled by temptation. We are not to live like those that don't know Jesus. Doing whatever feels good. We are called to righteousness. And we are called to holiness. See, we've been set free from sin through the redemption of Jesus. And now we have to walk out that freedom every day. Every choice. Every moment. With every thought, we walk out our freedom. Choosing to do what is right when it's hard. Choosing to do what is right when no one is watching. Choosing to do what is right when you have a bad day. Choosing to do what is right when you may, may, marry very well may be justified in doing something else. But just because it's your right does not make it right. The call to focus on righteousness means that we don't remain as we are. But we grow. But we mature. We become more like Jesus in every way. See, if in a year or if in five years... We are all acting the same, thinking the same, speaking the same, then there's a problem. Right? There, there's a problem because we're not growing in righteousness. We're not becoming more like Jesus. See, our faith must impact our life. If it's only internal, if I just have an internal faith, then it's a dysfunctional faith because Jesus makes me a better husband. Because Jesus makes me a better father. Because Jesus makes me a better leader. Jesus makes me a better friend. And he makes me a better human. Our faith is not just in our heads. It transforms every area of our lives. It's supposed to anyway. The third instruction is found in Ruth chapter 2, verse, it's verse 14, where, where Boaz says, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar or sour wine. This is a focus on Jesus. We're actually, at, I'm going to have the, the ushers, we're going to serve communion right now. So you guys can go ahead and distribute that. See, this, this represents when he says, uh, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar or the sour wine. It represents the table of the Lord. It represents communion where we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. When we come to the table of the Lord, this is where we enjoy the benefits of what Jesus accomplished through his death and his resurrection. What Jesus endured was horrific. But let's not forget 
that Jesus doesn't hang on that cross. He's not on the cross anymore. Jesus also is not in the grave. Jesus is alive. So what he went through was horrific, but he conquered it. He was victorious. So when we come to the table of the Lord, it's not like, it's not this mournful moment. This is a celebration. This is a feast. We're enjoying the benefits of what Jesus accomplished. Too many people, too many Christians look like they're suffering through their relationship with Jesus. Stop suffering. Stop suffering through your relationship with Jesus and start thriving. He bought your forgiveness. Accept it and forgive yourself. He bought you access to the Father. Man, get in there. Get in the presence of the Father because that's what Jesus bought you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me, he said. He's the access point. He bought you joy. Laugh. No, really, laugh. Ha-ha! <laughs> right, like... We've got the joy of the Lord. That's what he purchased for us. That can never be taken. It doesn't matter what you go through. So you can laugh in all seasons. You can laugh in all circumstances and situations. It's not because you've gone loco. It's because you've got the joy of the Lord inside of you. He bought that for you. As we sang about today, he bought you peace. Take a deep breath. He bought you the ability to overcome. Overcome this world and overcome all of its circumstances. So get out from underneath the weight of the world. Get out from underneath all of life's circumstances and overcome them. See, you can enjoy life. Abundant life is what Jesus died for for you. So that's your calling. So live it. If you're looking at your life and you're like, man, I don't have abundant life. I don't have peace. I don't have joy. I feel the weight of the world. Then there's something wrong and it's not on God's end. Right? That's on my end. And so i got to get into the presence of the Father, which is access through Jesus. And i got to like, allow him in so he can work those things out in my life. Psalms 103 verses 1 through 5. David writes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I am forgiven for everything. I am healed of all my diseases. I've been lifted out of the pit that God found me in. And truthfully, it's a, like when he finds us in the pit, it's a pit that we took a shovel, we dug real deep, and then we threw ourselves into the bottom. And then Jesus came and found us. He's like, would you like, would you like help out of the pit that you dug? Communion reminds us of what Jesus did and what we have because of his death and resurrection. God is so good. So if you can, try and open this. It's a struggle. And we're going to... 
we're going to take communion together. I open the juice portion, I'm afraid it's actually going to explode. <laughs> like it's just going <laughs> to... That's why I wore a black shirt today. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, Catch this, which is for you. The body of Jesus is for you. Do this in remembrance, in celebration of me. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Jesus. It says, in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying... This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood. That you willingly laid your life down for, for me. I mean, it's, it's, for, it's for us, but it's, it's also personal. It was for me. It was for you, not just as a community, not just as, 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 as the fellowship of believers of all time, but it was for you as an individual. His body and his blood given for you. Set us free from sin, from shame, from guilt, from condemnation, to set us free from death, hell, and the grave. He carried every curse of mankind upon his body. He carried it, he carried it. He actually, the, the word tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And his blood, he cut a new covenant with his very blood. The covenants are unbreakable. And in this covenant, is all the blessings of God in the heavenly realms. We have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realm. That's the new covenant. Thank you, Jesus, for your body and blood. See, we, we've experienced redemption through Jesus. And now, now we have to walk out that freedom we walk out that freedom by focusing on our calling, by focusing on righteousness, and by focusing on Jesus. It's not about how hard you could work and how hard you try. Man, I'm trying so hard. Maybe you don't need to try so hard. Maybe you just need to focus more on Jesus. Maybe you just need to settle into a place, put your roots down. Maybe you just need to, to take your righteousness seriously. Most people, most people go off the rails when they take their eyes off of Jesus. So eyes on Jesus at all times. And I think that's probably the best advice I could ever give you. 
eyes on Jesus at all times. There's a high probability and possibility that everyone else will fail you at some point. Eyes on Jesus at all times. As we close today, I just want to give opportunity. I don't know everyone personally. And so if you're here and, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you're like, man, I want what you've been talking about. I just, just lift your hand. If you're, if you're in the balcony or, or down below, wherever you are, yeah, I see that hand. Come on. It just helps me to know who I'm praying for. Come on, let's, let's, do, let's do this. Let's, let's all pray together. Re- repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I accept and receive all that you did for me on the cross. And I believe in your resurrection. Come into my life. I want you to be my God, my King. This is my yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.